Good evening and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted today by myself, Steve, Ed, Ed, Mike, our once upon a time guest host, Tiana, who's now going to be a regular host, Daniel, all the way from the UK, who has been kind enough to say he will wait up very late at night just to join us, for which we are great, greatly honored. And a special guest today, a Mr. Aaron Day. I forget what city you're from, but I do know you're from the grounded state of New Hampshire. So we welcome everybody. Hello, Thank everyone. Hi, everyone. Hello. Oh, I'm um, in Nashua these days. In Nashua. Okay, well, it's just over the borders. You're still in New Hampshire. Um, Aaron, besides being a friend of Liberty Block for quite a while, and I've met him in person once or twice, is I believe also running for president of the United States, which is quite interesting. So Aaron, if you could just introduce yourself, give us your 60 second bio, 60 seconds while you're running for president, and then we'll get on to all the great stuff. Um, sure. So my name is Aaron Day. I'm a serial entrepreneur. Started my first company when I was 19. Uh, this was back in 1995. It was an internet company. E-commerce started about a week before Amazon was, was formed. And so I was uh, very, very much into liberty and capitalism from, uh, from an early age and uh, started my second company in 2004, which was a healthcare company, um, which was a profitable company trying to tackle the obesity epidemic. And then it was destroyed by Obamacare, Dodd-Frank, and the attorney general at the time, uh, Eric Holder. And so that really, I guess the statement, hell has no fury like an entrepreneur scorned, is what really propelled me into the liberty movement. And so I, I went very extreme on this and got involved and was running four or five different liberty organizations at the same time. I was running a think tank in D.C. I was the chairman of the Free State Project. I was running a Republican Liberty Caucus group, uh, Super PAC. So it was a it was a very, very busy time. Um, and one of the things that I was doing in New Hampshire was trying to stop Obamacare Medicaid expansion. So got involved in that very heavily recruiting candidates because for whatever reason, Republicans in New Hampshire were trying to expand Obamacare, which didn't make any sense to me at all. So got heavily involved in that. And then that led me to run for U.S. Senate as an independent. And anyway, there's a longer, longer story, but um, I'm now running for president because after being involved in cryptocurrency and political activism for the last decade or so, I think we only have about 12 to 36 months until we're living under absolute tyranny. I think what we just saw with COVID and that whole the lockdowns and the vaccines and, and that whole medical tyranny thing is just a test case for what's coming next, which is CBDC, central bank digital currency which will have with it social credit scores, vaccine passports, and a whole variety of other things. And I think this is on the horizon in a much shorter time frame than people think. I really think we're only looking at one to three years. And I don't see any other political candidate acknowledging the issue, let alone dealing with it. So, so my primary issue, it's not the only issue, is making sure that we can both stop CBDC and also protect private crypto at the same time. Great. Aaron, can you explain to those of us who don't really understand, and many have tried and failed as far as my, as far as I go, what the heck is crypto? Well, I mean, crypto is a lot of things. I mean, there are thousands of cryptocurrencies and, and there are 
many flavors of cryptocurrencies. Many of them are are scams. I mean, just like you know, so it's it's not a uh, a situation where all all cryptos are, are are equal. But at the core, you have the invention such as Bitcoin, where you actually have a uh, a, a digital currency that is created on a fixed schedule. There's only a certain number. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin that are created and they're created algorithmically. I, I'm not going to go into all the details on this, but basically there's no central organization or entity that owns the creation and issuance of the Bitcoin. So it's basically a monetary system that is completely decentralized with a fixed number that can be used for peer-to-peer -peer transactions. Whereas what we have now is fiat currency, which as we all know, politicians uh, work in conjunction with private banks to print money out of, out of thin air. And they, they continue to do so until the currency collapses, which is the history of fiat currency. The average fiat currency only lasts 27 years. So all fiat currencies collapse. What's going on with the US dollar today is no different than what's happened with every other fiat currency in the history of time. We printed 40% of the dollars that have ever been in existence just in 2020, and it's continuing to get worse. So the US dollar will collapse. All fiat currencies collapse. So the invention behind cryptocurrency is the ability to separate money and state and actually have a currency that has a fixed supply, but yet can be used for trade on a person-to-person -person basis all over the world, 24 hours a day, seven days a week with nearly instant uh, processing time and uh, at almost near zero cost, depending upon the cryptocurrency that you're so using. So is cryptocurrency making it more likely to have a central digital currency, less likely or neither? Well, the banks don't like it and governments don't like the idea of decentralized cryptocurrency. So what you have going on now so I did political activism for a number of years, got out of political activism and was focused predominantly on cryptocurrency. And in the last 12 months, what I've seen is the government is trying to accelerate regulation on private cryptocurrency while at the same time accelerating the development of their own central bank digital currency. So they're, they're going to try to do everything they can to outlaw private cryptocurrency so that they can maintain their monopoly ownership on digital currency. And digital fiat currency will be much worse than regular fiat currency because it will allow the government to censor anyone at any time for any behavior that they don't like. So we saw this with the Canadian truckers. We've seen it with gun groups. We've seen it with religious groups already. Chase Bank in particular seems to be notorious for cutting off people's bank accounts for political reasons. And this just becomes hyper accelerated when all you have to do is, is turn off a switch and you can determine what somebody buys, what they don't buy. You can cut off access to their funds entirely and you can tie their access to their money to a social credit system that is determined by a group of, of bureaucrat elites. Okay, folks, have at it. Well, let me ask, well, you, a Aaron, let me ask you a question about CB, central bank digital currency. <clears throat> The bank, the 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 Fed is in a pilot program with some of the large commercial banks in the U.S. And rather than objecting to central bank digital currency, the the big banks in America seem all for it. Notwithstanding the fact that if the if the Fed is issuing a central bank digital currency, the bank's reason for existing disappears. The Fed will then will be able to just 
In fact, part of the pilot programs is to have depositors have the ability to deposit money directly at the Fed. So my question is, why do you think the banks are engaging in such suicidal behavior? Well, I mean, I, I think they may be testing that, but but my guess is that, well, just like right now, we don't need the Federal Reserve at all. We could we could print, the United States could print its own money directly. We don't need to have banks involved at all. We actually pay 25% of our taxes right now goes to pay the interest on the debt. We could just print the money directly. In fact, Lincoln wanted to do that. And arguably, some would say that's why he was assassinated, because he wanted to issue greenbacks directly through the federal government without working through banks. So my guess is whatever they would implement would somehow include the Federal Reserve is owned by banks. Right. But the banks, are their whole business is going to be cut out. There's not going to be any basis for there's no need for intermediation if you have a CBDC. Well, we don't know the ownership structure of the Federal Reserve. So my guess is, however they'd roll it out, the banks will still be involved somehow. That would that would be my guess. My guess is they're not on a suicide mission themselves. My guess is that, and, and let me be clear, not all banks, some of the banks, smaller banks will probably get crushed. Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, the City biggest the city group, the biggest of the big, they'll survive. And yeah, probably the smaller well, What banks would their might. role be? What do you think their, what do you see their role being? Um, their role, well, what is their role now? I mean, their role is still going to be to do the same thing. They'll still be issuing mortgages. They'll still be doing all of the lines of business, issuing credit cards and all of these other things. It's just going to be based off of CBDC. Well, I mean, I think that the Fed is going to take over that. And I think that the bank, the banks are going to be the scapegoats. The bank, the, the banks are going to, are going to have a financial situation where they're going to need another bailout. And that's going to be the the impetus for getting the central bank digital currency in the first place. That is well, going to banks, say we're not going to bail these out wanna, anymore. The Fed doesn't want to do retail banking, Ed. He, they they they're already they're already piloting it. Um, well, I think they're uh, I think they're piloting. I think, they do, I think they're I think they're piloting cross border payments is what I understand I, that they're doing I, out I, of the New York I, Fed. Let, let me just disagree also, Ed. I, I, I think that they do want to do retail banking because that, that's the way they get the kind of control that Aaron was talking about. If I have to deposit my money with the Fed, then the Fed controls my money. If they have a bank intermediary, then the Fed still has to has to trust that I'm not going to work. I'm not going to work with the bank. You know, they're going to have to trust that Bank of America and Wells Fargo and every other bank is going to go along with every single social credit score policy that they have. Whereas if if the Fed is making the loans themselves and controlling everything themselves and having the deposits themselves, they don't they don't need anybody to get in line. They just implemented themselves. Well, I but yeah, I, 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 tend, I, I I'm sorry, I tend to agree with Aaron that the the Fed is not going to want to nationalize the whole banking system. They're going to figure out a structure that um, I didn't say nationalize that the said, grift that the grift continues. You know, there's there's grift all the way up, and I think they're going to figure out a way to do the central bank digital currency to keep the graph going. I don't think they're going to nationalize the banks. I think that they're going to make them moot. They're going to make them beyond have no reason for existing. Well, again, I think it'll be a cartel of the big banks and they'll all be essentially the same, which is what's going on right now with the woke corporatism anyway. I mean, what really is the difference between Chase and Bank of America at the end of the day anyway? I mean, they're all signing up for the same social policies. They're all signing up for the same, you know, ESG, whatever, whatever the new woke thing is, the big banks are doing it anyway. 
So I think those will be the banks that will be that are already the big owners if we really understood the Federal Reserve System anyway, and they'll just continue to be the front retail portion of banking. It's just that it'll be under CBDC and under complete authoritarian control as opposed to right now. But it's already becoming increasingly authoritarian. I mean, try to go to the bank and withdraw all your funds. You have to say, if you try to take out more than $10,000 out of the bank, you have to set up an appointment. Usually it'll take 24 to 48 hours. Uh, we don't even have fractional reserve banking anymore. They got rid of that two years ago. So it used to be that at least there was a 10% reserve requirement. We don't even have that. So you right. get together five of your buddies to go take your money out of the bank. They don't actually have it on hand. Let me ask, let me ask you one other question about, not about CBDC, but about crypto. Um, in 1933, FDR and, and, and the Congress outlawed gold. Yep. What's to stop? Is there anything about cryptocurrency that makes it different from gold or another hard asset that makes it harder or, or maybe easier for the government to ban it? It's difficult to ban and it depends on the type of cryptocurrency. Yeah, FDR did confiscate all gold. I don't think he got all of the gold. Certainly people, certain people held on to their onto their gold. FDR later regretted having done that. Um, there are certainly things that they can try to do to ban cryptocurrency. What they're primarily going to do is regulate the exchanges. So right now, if you want to acquire cryptocurrency, you have to go through an exchange like Coinbase or like Binance. And what they can do is shut off the on-ramps and the off-ramps. And so one of the things that I've been telling people for, for eight years is not your keys, not your crypto. If you buy crypto, get it off of an exchange and make sure that you have self-custody of it. But the easiest way to make crypto difficult is to shut off the on and off-ramps where people use fiat to exchange crypto. So that's, so, so that's one area. Another area is depending on the kind of crypto, you know, cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, there are certain cryptocurrencies that are centralized and that actually have corporate structures. Those are easy to shut down because you can actually shut down the corporation or depending upon how the cryptocurrency is generated, you can actually go in and reverse the transactions and shut the thing down. So Ethereum, I would not use because it's easy from a multiple number of different points. Something like Bitcoin, there are only a few cryptocurrencies that, that I actually like and talk about, which are Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV, Ravencoin, and Litecoin, because they all have similar attributes. They're all what are called proof of work blockchains, where people are mining the cryptocurrencies and basically adding the transactions to blocks. And, and the computers that are mining are decentralized across the globe. So it's it's more difficult to shut off. You can shut it off. Multiple companies have, or countries have banned Bitcoin. But Bitcoin continues to go on. The United States could ban Bitcoin by law, but that it's going to be really hard to enforce that because they'd have to shut down the Internet. I mean, the number of draconian things that they would have to do would, well, would cripple the economy. Well, but what if I mean, what if rather than suppose I have my Bitcoin, you know, my own little crypto wallet, if if the if the government makes it illegal, they just have to do a few sting operations on a couple of retailers and do a couple of very public trials, criminal trials, prosecuting people for accepting Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, and people are going to stop wanting to do it, right? I mean, it's not easy to go buy drugs, for instance. I mean, I know that there's a big drug problem, but it's you know you can't just walk down the street and say, I want drugs, right? I mean, you have to know where to go. Um, depends I mean, on the street. It depends on the street. I know it's not a perfect analogy. It's the first thing that popped into my head, but I mean, I'm just thinking if I have crypto in my wallet and they make it illegal and I'm risking going to jail if I try and purchase something with it, 
and a merchant is risking going to jail, accepting it as a, as a medium of exchange, how many, how many merchants are going to take that chance? Well, I guess it depends on what circumstances we're under when that when we get to that point, because we may be getting to the point where we need radical noncompliance. And we're at the point where we're literally the decision is going to be break the law or face absolute tyranny. And I think that's the circumstance under which what you're what you're talking about is going to happen. But it's clearly moving in that direction. If you look at what's going on in New Hampshire, uh, we have Ian Friedman, who's looking at eight years in, in prison for operating ATMs, Bitcoin ATMs for a number of years. And they they got him on some money transmitter thing. It was a it's a completely ridiculous uh, case, but he's looking at eight years in, in, in prison. So clearly we're, we're at that point right now where uh, they're fighting this. But at the same time, it's not in America's interest from a competitive perspective to shut down crypto if the rest of the world is using it. We'll actually be at a competitive disadvantage. So the ability for the federal government to come in and just shut it down without it having big economic consequences in the international landscape is, is, is one thing that makes me think it'll be open longer than it might otherwise be. But clearly, there is an assault by the federal government to shut down crypto on multiple fronts right now. That is that China is ban China banned Bitcoin and crypto. Um, the the European Central Bank has talked about the need to, to regulate it and possibly ban it. What may I mean, El Salvador accepts it made it legal tender. There are a few countries that do but and in, 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 in Nigeria, it's in high demand right now. People are paying a premium for Bitcoin because of, of their banking system. Lebanon's banking system has collapsed. So you've seen Argentina. You've actually seen in multiple countries over the last 10 years where, where there's been a financial collapse, where the banks have exploded, people have migrated to Bitcoin and, buy, and, and migrated to cryptocurrencies. I think people can't fathom that that would happen in the United States, but it certainly will because there's nothing... Uh, extraordinary about the way the U.S. dollar has enjoyed its world reserve status simply because we were in a better position than the rest of the world coming out of World War II, and we've completely squandered it. I mean, we've gone beyond completely squandering it. So at this point, you know, the dollar is losing its its status. It's losing its its appeal, and so it's going to be a really challenging time. I think in the next again twelve to th to thirty six months. Now on the I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying what I'm talking about is uh, this is an uphill battle. Uh, this is, I, I've been living off of crypto for for four years. A friend of mine has been living off of crypto since 2016. Uh, there are not many people, but some people that have been trying to do this for a while. And the adoption has not been what I, I we would like it to be, in part because so many crypto scams came on the horizon. And most people look at crypto as being a speculative investment that you gamble on buying it through a centralized exchange. So we need to get to people using crypto for peer-to-peer -peer commerce. And I think that's going to happen at the level of small businesses and merchants and people dealing peer-to-peer. I saw Al, Alu jumped on. I, I bought his book recently using using Ravencoin, and I know he does a lot of peer-to-peer -peer commerce. There's a lot of peer-to-peer -peer commerce going on in New Hampshire. It can happen. It's just going to take people being willing to proactively do things a little bit more in a little more difficult manner now uh, in order to be prepared for what's coming down the line. And the challenge is they don't know what's coming down the line. They have no idea that CBDC is coming. So this is but a challenge. We do know that every single day, and this everyone knows, and I explained this to my six-year-old niece the other day, and she understood it very quickly. We all know what inflation is, everyone besides people with an IQ below 15. 
So pretty much like Joe Biden and some others. But everyone with an IQ in the double digits knows what inflation is, and they know that your dollars are worth less and less and less every single day because they buy less stuff. And they know that cryptocurrency, well, more volatile, but also you know gold and silver hold their value better. Crypto is very volatile in general, besides the, the stable coins. They're volatile, but they go up and down. The dollar just goes down by 10, 15, 20% per year. In some instances, essentially, in, in looking at products um, outside of the CPI, the, the fake government BS, their metrics, more like 20, 30, 40% per year. So we know this inflation at least 10, 15% per year. So we know that if you want something to hold this value, like you said with crypto or with gold backs, you know, 10, 20, 30% of my transactions for my books, where, where I pay for stuff and buy stuff. I'm paying for fixing my cement um, stairs and landing. I pay for my water heater and goldbacks. I pay for big things. You know, talking about about thousand dollars worth, two hundred fifty goldbacks. I pay for big things in the FSP community, the Liberty community in New Hampshire. And, and I was going to say a few minutes ago when you were talking, like people are going to be afraid to take it. And, and Ed Maslow said that. And I, I agree. If they do some big things, that will um, have a chilling effect, obviously. And the big problem with that is, is the less it's accepted, it means the less overall use there is for it, meaning it goes down in value because there's less demand. Because if you can't use it in many stores, then it's not very useful, meaning it lowers the, the overall value of that kind of uh, currency. So that is an issue. But in New Hampshire, again, we have thousands of locations of real stores and people who buy who, who buy and sell things and trade crypto and gold and silver. I have gold backs on me all the time. I always carry them plenty on me. Uh, we use it a really good amount in New Hampshire. So I just wanted to say that. Okay. I want to move across the pond for one second. Um, right. Daniel, since we all uh, respond by you, so to speak, do you have crypto? Is this going to happen to you guys? Like, what's the whole CBD oh, situation? Oh, it's a very similar process. It's a, it's a very similar process because obviously we have people using cryptocurrencies and we've had uh, exactly the same kind of pilot schemes and investigations done by the Bank of England as are being done by the Federal Reserve. So, you know, our leaders and, and our banking system wants this the same way. And, and they will, uh, in exactly the same way, tie it into the, the populace, definitely. And, and one of the challenges that I have as part of this campaign, I'm, I'm working on a book. I'm working on a series, four, four short books. But the first one is about uh, central bank digital currency and social credit scores because people are not aware of what's already going on in China. China already has a digital one. They already have a social credit score system. They have 200 million security cameras. Uh, I, I'm actually working on laying this out right now. Their credit scores, you know, it starts at a thousand and it goes up and down based on what your behaviors are. Well, you know, if you don't pay your taxes or the equivalent of if you don't report $700 worth of PayPal receipts, then your credit score goes down a couple hundred points. If you don't visit your elderly parents enough, it goes down. Because they have as many uh, cameras as they do, if you put too many bottles of beer into your shopping cart, whether or not you buy them or not, you get penalized. There's a whole laundry list of things. And there are 23 million people in China that are already blacklisted based on social credit scores, which means they have restricted access to transportation, restricted uh, access to housing options. Their children have restricted access for educational opportunities. This is live now. And a lot of people will say, and particularly in this political thing, China is the enemy. But from the perspective of the globalists, China is the test case. And they're looking at what's going on in China and, and transferring that technology to other countries. So, for instance, Canada is already talking to China about implementing the social credit system that they have in China in Canada, 
is pretty alarming when you consider that Canada now has a MAID program, which is basically a euthanasia program where um, they euthanized 10,000 people in Canada last year, and they've now expanded the program. So based on, you know, whatever your financial condition is, mental disability or whatever, they're actually euthanizing more people. So you can imagine a scenario in the near future where in Canada, your social credit score drops too low, boom, your next option, you don't, your, your healthcare option is euthanasia. Like this isn't that far off. Like, like these conversations and these programs are actually ongoing. If people were aware today what's going on in China now, they would be absolutely horrified about what CBDC means. The problem is it's going to be rolled out as a benefit. In fact, what's going to happen is we're going to have another crisis, whether it's a war or some attack on the electrical grid or something like COVID, and they're going to roll it out and say, hey, look, we're going to give you this digital cash, you know, turn in, we're going to exchange your existing accounts for, for CBDC. Maybe we'll give you universal basic income, uh, free healthcare. They'll make it sound great. And then boom, 12 months, 24 months after that, you've got a social credit system. And now you have com- complete tyranny because every aspect of your behavior in your life is under control by the government through control of digital money. I mean, so Aaron, the- Aaron, you're in really good company because you're channel- channeling our own Ed Maslish, who I think has been warning about this quite vociferously for a while. Um, what percentage of the American population has even a clue that this is in the air? Anybody want to guess on that one? 2.7%. <laughs> Where'd you get that from? My brick. My brain, come on. I mean, that's optimistic from my conversation. I would say it's less than 1% of that 2.7. It's well under 1%. Okay, and Aaron, what would you do to stop it? Well, what I'm what I'm doing to stop it is one, I'm going to put out this book in this presentation, but I'm also putting out a website that's going to have guides to help onboard individuals and businesses to crypto, because this is the thing that's been lacking. It's been very, I've onboarded hundreds of people to crypto over the last, whatever, eight or 10 years. And it's been a very complicated process. And a lot of times people lose their money. If they, they buy crypto on an exchange, the exchange goes under, they didn't take the crypto off, they've lost their crypto. It's, it's, it's been a very complicated process. So taking control of self-custody crypto the responsibility is all yours. If you lose it, it's gone. And there's Did no you already explain custodianship to them, Aaron? No, I didn't go into that in, in great detail. I just mentioned I, briefly that most people buy crypto through centralized exchanges, and then they often leave it there. And then if something happens to the exchange, it gets hacked, seized by the government or whatever, they, they lose their crypto. Whereas if you have the crypto on your in your own wallet, on your own device, or in your own custody, then... It, it makes it very difficult, if not impossible, for the government to seize, and you're not subject to whatever risk a centralized exchange might have. Am I correct that if there's no electricity, there's no crypto? Yeah, no electricity is a is a is a difficult one. Uh, but of course, if there's no electricity, there's no banking either. Even even our traditional bank. And there's Mad Max. And no, no, no. But it, why would not the whole point of ESG is that they can cut off my electricity and therefore they've cut off all my money. So how do you stop that? But he's saying, it has, I, I'm saying, I'm saying it, stop ESG by stopping CBDC. You get ESG when you get CBDC first. CBDC is the gateway to the control system for all of this. Once they control your money, then they layer everything else on. If we stop that, 
it's going to be more difficult for them to implement all of these things. Okay. This is why to me, this is the, this is a priority. But as we're discussing here, this is difficult because yeah, it's probably not even 1% of the population that are aware of this yet. So how I'm going to communicate this through the book, how I'm going to communicate this through by providing tools that help connect people. I want somebody, an individual or a business to be able to get onboarded with self-custody crypto in under 15 minutes. That's the, that's the goal that I have. And I'm working with people that have been involved in crypto for over a decade to try to figure out how we put our heads together and say, hey, listen, guys, this is serious. We've been at this for 14 years and the adoption peaked in 2017 in terms of peer-to-peer -peer commerce. Let's make this easy for everybody to use and let's start communicating these ideas and getting people signed up as many as we can, as quickly as we can. And let's explain what's going on in China with their system. Let's explain that there are already seven countries that have CBDC. Let's explain that there are over a hundred countries piloting CBDC in various forms and get this information out here so that it's not the, 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 the most dangerous thing that I could hear is, oh, that'll never happen in America, or that's five to 10 years off. Like that, that, that kind of complacency aspect of this is probably the biggest battle that we're facing because people Somehow, even though we just went through COVID tyranny, where people were locked in their houses, in some cases forced to take an untested shot, um, and all of this money was printed, people somehow still have some belief or trust or faith that the government would never implement something like CBDC here. So these are the big barriers that I've got to figure out yeah. how to communicate. Okay, so Aaron, I I'm still stuck on Ed's question because I, I, you know, as you know, I know Ian Freeman. I think everybody on this show is relatively familiar with the fact that he was raided with a bunch of bear cats and, you know, armed vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't need to see that too many times to know I don't want to go anywhere near this. So how do you convince people that they're not going to get raided in that way? Um, well, I guess the only way to do it properly is to it's tell to them that, is to tell no, is to tell them if you don't move towards self-custody crypto, that the actual timeline and path that we're on for CBDC is absolute tyranny anyway. So basically your default setting as a human being in the United States of America under CBDC with all these social credit score systems is at any point in time, you could be raided by somebody with a bear cat or you, you'll, you'll lack freedom to the point where, you know, you, you essentially what's the difference between having no control over your day-to-day -day yep. decisions or being raided by a bear cat. So they're anyway. either for sure tyranny or at least let's take a risk and we might actually get freedom. Okay, but, and that's where you ask a question. Is there anybody on this panel who doesn't agree with Aaron on that question? No. Which Listen, question are we questioning whether to have a have your own? Should, should I be more custody? afraid? No, should I be more afraid of not adopting crypto than adopting crypto and having the government raid my house with armed FBI agents? You understand that that fighting tyranny is always a risk. You understand that if you're over the target, they're going to lash out. You know all these things. So not not Ed, Ed P., do you agree with that? Um, I don't think there's any uh, real risk of the government um, raiding your house. Uh, to get crypto anytime in the near future. So I, I, you know, even if they ban it, I mean, it's not like Roosevelt went around and, and broke into people's houses looking for gold. Um, Why would they need so to I, raid your house to get your crypto? They just have to walk. They would do the big ones, the big fish they would cast, of course. Uh, they don't have to walk. I mean, 
I, they have no capability of, of um, watching your internet unless you uh, uh, unless you're stupid. And if you're you have your own wallet for crypto, then you're not going to be stupid. But the big centralized exchanges, they can raid. They're either in their pocket, yeah. like FTX and Coinbase, or they'll raid them. Right, of course. I mean, not, not going to come around, and uh, certainly not any time in the near future. I mean, you can use a, you know, um, what do they call it? A, a VPN. And, and then, you know, it's like, have they banned VPNs in China? Yes. Do people still use VPNs? Yes, they do. Do they get put in concentration camps for using a VPN? Maybe a few. I doubt it. Yeah. I mean, um, we like to say that we're ahead of the curve in a lot of ways we are on this, but we're, you know, the right is always behind the curve when it comes to what the leftists and the globalists are all doing. I just shared a link in the, in the chat. It links to um, a new, the New Jersey we uh, Treasury website. They've officially adopted ESG as their policy, okay, when it comes to investing the pensions. That's been in place since 2018. 2018. All right, so we're, we're like, we're, we're, behind, we're behind on this. They're already implementing. New Jersey doesn't have a big enough pension crisis, does, do they? Yeah, not a big enough. So, Mike, your tax dollars are going to funding ESG, meaning in a viral-fascist, socialist, and yeah. terrible government types of companies. So how do you feel about that? And when are you leaving New Jersey? Ouch. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously I object to all that stuff too. So, but again, I mean, I shared the link to make the point that, you know, they've actually had this in place for five years now. Okay. Actually, Mike, I want to be five uh, years behind. <laughs> I want to clarify ahead of the curve is the slogan. I know. Tagline of our show, because we're ahead of that 0.1% of 0.2.7% <laughs> or whatever, but so, but, uh, you know, again, the, the, the left, the totalitarians are always plotting and scheming and they're two or three steps ahead and we're constantly trying to catch up to what they're doing. Okay. So Ed, Ed M and Aaron, I think you both are saying the same thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, that there will be some kind of crisis manufactured or otherwise through which they um, inject this into the, to the economy. Well, yeah, I mean, COVID was version 1.0 of it. I mean, and a lot of people are saying, well, well we beat COVID and, and we figured it all out. But I, I don't think that they were expecting to have 100% success rate. They're doing game theory and they're doing analysis and saying, well, how did we respond to this? And then they're going to give us a new fear to react to so that they can come in and strip away more of our rights. This is a common cycle. This is a, a common pattern. So they're observing how we're observing. And I actually think that the next thing that they're going to do is going to be to prompt some version of a cyber Patriot Act so that they can further censor our speech and try to regulate crypto. This is why, do I want to run for president? Do I want to go to Washington, D.C.? No, but I actually think we have that little time that this is a platform for getting this information out because I really think it's only one to three years. This isn't, this isn't a 10-year time period. And so I'm looking at this as I've got 12-year-old twins and you know already when I compare what their life was like when they were 10 with masks and, and, and all the, you know, I went to my, my daughter's dance recital outside in the practically in the snow i couldn't see your feet and they're wearing masks i mean this was this was this is beyond absurd um and so we have a very short time frame so I, whatever we can do to kind of communicate this and try to get people not only on board with crypto but in general my campaign is about radical non-compliance more broadly so if you don't like inflation then stop using 
the Ponzi United States dollar. If you don't like medical tyranny, don't take the shots. Don't wear the masks. Don't follow public health guidelines, which do far more harm than good in general, including in areas like nutrition. If you don't want to be brainwashed, don't watch mainstream media. If you don't want to be censored, stop using big tech and move to alternatives. If you don't want your kids brainwashed, pull them out of public school. And if you don't like government corruption, I'm going to build a website where people get a censorship resistant site where people can come and post uh, information about government corruption in all of the federal departments um, of the all departments of the federal government. So it's that's the only way this works. No president, no political candidate can solve anything as long as the people are willing to comply with tyranny. And unfortunately, we have a bad track record in 2020. I'm not sure if we're up to the challenge or not. I was actually a little bit horrified and surprised, even in New Hampshire, by the reaction of some supposed liberty people to what what went on. So, so in the last election, let me in the last election, um, the Democrats had a system for getting on the debate stage that uh, required a certain amount of donations and a certain amount of people who donated. And um, Tulsi Gabbard uh, exploited this system to um, sort of not just raise money, but to get lots of individual donors. And I gave her five bucks. And, and on the debate stage, she absolutely destroyed uh, um, our current vice president and, and basically took her out. I think getting on the debate stage is sort of a, you know, the first step in, in doing anything. So do you know what the requirements are for Republicans? I mean, look at what Ron Paul did to Rudy Giuliani back in the day. Look at what, um, you know, what can be accomplished if you get on the debate stage. I mean, you may not win, but you may get your message across in a way that, that, that can really do some good uh, over the years. And so the, do you know what the process is and do you know what, what the, the, the goals they, are for your campaign? They have not laid out the process yet. And it's very interesting that you bring this up because Vivek Ramaswamy, who's also running, has has just tweeted and thrown out a similar thing. He's like, look, we want to know to the, he said to the chair of the GOP, we want to know what the criteria are. I want to know what the criteria are so that we can have the debates. He's not going to get a response. The establishment GOP is not interested in candidates like me and Vivek being in, in the debate. So I've actually suggested to Vivek and to Elon Musk and others that we go through alternative media and actually try to structure a series of Lincoln Douglas style debates. Enough of this 90 second with a 30 second rebuttal scripted by with somebody from the mainstream media asking softball questions. Let's try to get a real debate series going. So I'm trying to do this today as, as you bring this up with Vivex so that we can maybe get this going. Because if you look at what's going on with Twitter spaces, you have Twitter spaces that have had 100,000 plus people in there at one time. If we could, if, if Elon Musk could be compelled to say, hey, look, we'll host video, a live video debate platform through Twitter. That's the way I want to try to get the debate going. Uh, beyond that, I'm trying to find out what the criteria are. I do know a bit about Republican politics. My stepmother was the co-chair of the RNC nationally. So for from 2010 to 2014, I think, something something along those lines. And, and, and she was the... Uh, national committee woman for the state of uh, Florida. And I, for, so for 30 years, I saw how the Republican party works and I can tell you, we're not going to find any support. Mm -hmm. And I think because of my position on vaccines, I, I don't even think I'm going to get any mainstream coverage at all, because if you've noticed Pfizer's a sponsor of 
you know, this week with Stephanopoulos and Face the Nation. And all of these shows have been sponsored by Pfizer. I actually what? literally think my Pfizer. I can't even get my platform out on on those, even though I've gotten mainstream press in the past doing political activities. I, I'm I'm up against a lot of resistance now, so I'm actually going to push some of the other candidates to see if we can get alt media and some of the better technology platforms to change the way we even approach debates. And Vivek has said he wants to have meaningful debates, no teleprompters you know, no notes. Let's just sit down and have debates. I would love to do that. I would love to have, and I think the American people are actually crave something like that because again, this 90 second format doesn't work. What's actually debate and talk. So that's what my strategy is right now. My strategy right now is to try to pursue an alternate type of debate and then we'll work everything else. But I also plan on getting resistance from the GOP, and I'm going to show people because, you know, I have a database, we're contacting all of the chairs of all of the Republican uh, of each of the states, we're, we're contacting the counties as well. And, you know, I'm going to catalog what the responses I get are, and if any, and, and I'm going to present that to the people as well, because people need to understand that they're not seeing the full range of candidates and that there's a, there's kind of a, a stonewall there. Now, with that said, my stepmother was the co-chair of the RNC and she was Trump's ambassador to Costa Rica. So, I haven't talked to her in six years, so she might actually be blocking me on the other end on this. So is she going to be your Mary Trump? Um, I have a dumb question to ask, so I apologize. Is there anyone in Congress who knows slash gives a hoot about this issue? Um, I think what Tom Emmer, I, I think is his name. I, I, there, there are a few people that do understand this issue. It's difficult because... Congress has the power of the purse, but what does that mean? Well, they have to issue IOUs to the Federal Reserve to get to get their money. So there's a little bit of a conflict of interest, right? Like so, so to what degree do they really are they really excited about crypto? But there are uh, the Sen Senator Loomis from Wyoming. Uh, there are you know probably a handful of, of of people in Congress that are that are up to speed on this issue. I think Ted Cruz is good on this issue. Is it a lot of Congress? No. Is, is this a substantial issue? No. They certainly didn't. It didn't stop them from taking a lot of money from FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, and in fact, if you look at that, they were on the other side going to put in place regulations that benefited FTX. And they certainly took a lot of his money illegally. But are there a lot of people in Congress that are on the ball with respect to the idea of the importance of self-custody crypto and what that means for freedom? No, maybe a handful. Not even a Rand Paul? Rand Paul is, he's okay on the issue, uh, but he's not that outspoken on this. He, he's actually, I know he took crypto in uh, 2016 for his campaign, uh, but he hasn't really been outspoken on this. I'm sure he will be supportive of it. I'm sure he would be. I just haven't heard him talk about this issue. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure Massey is also good on this issue. But again, Eric, we're talking we're talking about a handful of people. So this this is an uphill battle at this point. Aaron, are you familiar with the legislation that the South Dakota House, the South Dakota legislature just passed, and that several other legislatures have passed that would that try that amends the Uniform Commercial Code to, to redefine the definition of money to include a CBDC, but not cryptocurrency. I did not hear about that. I will. I'll take a look. I did also hear that they're trying to ban the SEC is trying to come at uh, mining cryptocurrency as well as as being, you know, an in, in illegal activity or something that you need to register as a security in order to be able to do. They're, they're, they're coming down regulatorily on 
on all fronts. I mean, again, they did, they came after Ian and then they shut down Jeremy Kaufman. I mean, Odyssey and library still exist, but I don't know for how long. I, from what I heard from one of their employees, they've been out of money for a couple of months and the SEC just just drained them. Can you quickly uh, tell everybody what Odyssey and library are so and why they were shut down since we don't know? Well, so the best way to describe it, so library is basically YouTube except decentralized on the blockchain. So it's it's a censorship resistant platform where where content is shared on a on a blockchain, on an immutable ledger. Um, the SEC went after library because library used a token system. So, uh, this podcast is on Odyssey. And so when you post your content on Odyssey, you have to use what's called a library token and it costs money to, to buy these tokens. The SEC came in and said, well, that's an illegal security. You should have registered that with the SEC before you sold those tokens. And, the SEC has all these guidelines. You have to fill out all this paperwork. There are requirements for net worth. You have to prove who the, the investor has to prove who they are. There's a whole bunch of government middleware that goes into this. Well, library didn't, didn't do that paperwork and then spent four years in a lawsuit with the SEC, uh, the SEC won. And I don't know what the total damages are with respect to this, but it essentially bankrupted library. And now there's essentially a bunch of other litigation going on that would make a lot of other cryptocurrencies illegal securities because people were selling these tokens and selling these cryptocurrencies without getting the uh, going through the appropriate SEC paperwork. Yeah. With the SEC so if I go to the county fair and I buy a ticket for a ride, but I don't use all the tickets, so I, I sell this ticket to a kid. At the end, I am engaging in illegal securities uh, transaction. That yeah, seems what the judge to be said, what the SEC argued and the judge agreed with and ruled that they were liable was that anything that is sold or transferred or even given away, if there's any implication by the the giver or anyone else even related to him, maybe that it could go up in value potentially ever, then it's a security. And someone affiliated with LBRY allegedly mentioned somewhere on some forum a while ago that the LBC, the tokens they used, could theoretically at some point maybe go up in value. That knowledge is what made it in that instance into a security, apparently. So if I say this thing, this amazing drink drunk by Alu the Great, the self-proclaimed best author in the universe, this could go up in value in the future, and I sell it to you or give it to you for free as a gift, technically that's illegal securities and you're not an authorized investor or whatever, and then it's I go to prison forever. So Aaron, one of the things that Ed and I have been arguing about with regard to the central bank digital currency, not that we disagree that that's where the powers that be want to go, um, is that the, there's a huge amount of the American economy, not just the drugs and prostitution, gambling and stuff, but a huge amount of the American economy that is, is done now in cash. And, and that's mainly uh, poor people. And it's mainly because they don't trust banks, um, you know, all the Ill illegal immigrants, et cetera, et cetera. And so my theory, and I give this to you as a, as a sort of question, is that um, if a central bank digital currency were implemented and everybody was forced to do it, some other currency would arise, whether it's the gold backs that Alu is fond of or you know, cigarettes, anything, there will be some other currency that will arise for the 25% of the economy that is currently uh, in cash. Um, and because it would have to, I mean, that's what 
money is. That's how money works. And it money is not, at least until the central bank era, money is not something the government hands you or the government creates. Money is something that you know, appears spontaneously out of the market. And my, my view is that uh, if they do crack down with a central bank digital currency, all we'll see is that some other form of money will arise spontaneously in the market um, to take over the large amount of the economy that is now in cash. And in a lot of ways, this money probably would work better uh, than the central bank digital currency. And it would, um, you know, whether it's Bitcoin or whether it's something else, you know, it could be something, you know, gold or, or whatever. It, it might actually be the beginning of the end. They might clamp down so hard with the CBDC that uh, they end up um, getting us more freedom in the end. It will require that. It, it will require, I agree with what you're saying, but it will require people to stand up and not comply. And, and I think you're right. The 25% that are dealing on a, on a cash only basis right now are already not complying, right? They're yeah. already not paying taxes there. So, so, you know, that maybe that's my target audience. Although I don't know if those people can, can vote because for the, the same reason they don't have a bank account, they may not be registered to vote. But um, I think what you're saying is, is absolutely true. They might clap, they, they might clamp down too hard, but the thing is, I think the way they're going to implement this is in an emergency with such a level of fear there's there are two components to this. There's one they want to implement CBDC. There's the other, which is that the dollar is a Ponzi scheme and it's collapsing. There are two things going on at the same time, and they're going to use the fact that they have printed more of this money out of thin air, and that's created the global tension that we have. That's created the problem that we have with China. The, the issue with China is really probably more related to how we've been printing money based on how much of you know of our debt they hold, and so forth. So they have to solve that problem because it is a Ponzi, right? They print, yeah. the money out, they print the money out of thin air and then they don't print the interest. So then they charge you interest that they've never printed. So then you have, they raise the interest rates. You have to, so then it becomes a hunger games type of situation where people out there's not enough money in circulation to pay back the principal and the interest. The banks can come in and seize your physical assets from money they've printed out of thin air through this kind of you know, rug pull with this interest. And that's, been, that's what causes the boom bust cycle. Well, we've now just printed 40% of the dollars that have ever been in existence. Whatever the next rung of this Ponzi is has to be bigger than that. So whatever this next crisis is, it has to be bigger than what the crisis was that pumped 40% of the dollars into the system. Okay, Aaron, so excuse me. I wanna, we got a guest. Ed, you want to go ahead and introduce our guest, please? Yes, I wanted to introduce Jeff Meek, who is a banker or former banker and an expert in central bank digital currency and monetary issues generally. Uh, Jeff, you want to ask some questions? Got to unmute. Yes, you have to unmute, Jeff. There we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah, the question that the first question I would like to ask is, um, I don't First of all, I don't know how much of an expert I am, but I do follow it. Um, and my question is, why are they going after crypto with a vengeance and not gold and silver? Because crypto is a more scalable solution and it's better money than fiat. Because you can actually use crypto for peer-to-peer -peer cash and do transactions. I mean, with the, depending upon the kind of crypto, you can even do microtransactions. 
So with fiat, you know, if you're using a credit card, you're paying 30, the, the, the merchant's paying 30 cents per transaction as a fee plus 2.5% or whatever, 2% of the, of, of the actual retail value amount. You can't do a transaction for one cent using a, you know, a credit card or the existing fiat rails. Crypto's better money than fiat. Gold and silver is difficult to use. It's not much of a threat because it's hard to go to the store and well, I was gonna use an example, buy a dozen eggs, but you know, maybe that will cost you, you know, an ounce of silver these days. <laughs> but but it, but it's but it's but it's hard to make general retail transactions using gold or silver. You can do retail transactions and even microtransactions with crypto. So it is a significant threat. Um, there's never mm -hmm. been a real alternative to fiat currency that's been practical before in human history on a global scale. So this is a, a truly revolutionary technology in that regard. Excellent answer, Aaron. I was about to say, right now, the biggest threat to their currency, the fiat fraudulent reserve notes, that's what FRN stands for, by the way. Right now, the biggest threat is crypto because it can be sent across the world in you know, an instant or in a few minutes, and because it's, it's infinitely scalable. Um, and it's just the, the most widely accepted. Gold packs are only accepted in a few hundred stores in New Hampshire or a hundred. Cryptos are accepted in a, in a few hundred or a few thousand, but also you can get, um, you could essentially buy uh, gift cards and stuff with crypto and you can use crypto everywhere, also via other apps and stuff. So you could use it everywhere. Now, again, once gold back is a little bit more of a threat, they will attack it with the same kind of veracity, I, I think. Um, now, that being said, they do, if you remember people from New Hampshire from a, about a decade ago or a few years ago, whenever, Someone made something called the silver dollar, the Liberty dollar, and it was, and um, they they got him for counterfeiting, and they seized, I think, a lot of silver, and I think gold as well. He had notes that really corresponded to actual silver in a vault, and and they cracked down on him. And again, if I, they would love to crack down on Goldback. That's why they have you know great lawyers who are finance and tax attorneys working for Goldback. They would love to crack down on these. They they could say if they could say it's counterfeit or anything else, or it's used for money laundering, which you could say anything because money laundering really is the most broad kind of ubiquitous uh, crime in the universe. It means nothing, but um, they would love to crack down on it. They just got to figure out a way. Crypto, they're trying to find a way. So that, that's what how I would answer that question. Yeah, that that guy who created the uh, Liberty Dollar, I think, is still in prison. That was probably about twelve years ago, twelve, thirteen years ago. Um, and I have a lot of those gold backs, which right now are just um, I, I keep them. Uh, they're kind of a novelty. Um, and I do agree with you that they will get more aggressive with it. I, I'm just trying to reconcile in my own mind with, you know, we brought up historical perspective and, you know, for 6,000 years of human history, gold and silver has been used, uh, it might be cumbersome in the 20 and 21st century, but we've only really had this new technology for what, maybe 75 years. So the argument that we can't use gold and silver kind of falls flat to me. Um, yeah, we have this new technology, but the central banks are already way ahead of us in technology, terms of Jeff? clamping down. Which new technology do you mean? Well, uh, you know, we've only had central bank uh, worldwide central bank control for what maybe 40 years when the swiss finally um finally you know stopped uh resolving their debits in gold and went to a, a fiat currency 
So, uh, you know, it's just a monetary technology. Um, and my reading of history is that every single time mankind tries fiat currency, we end up resorting to gold and silver. Why can't they just make gold and silver a capital punishment crime? They don't have enough public support for it yet. That's the propaganda machine of the government media um, symbiotic, symbiotic relationship is to get people to, to think that only and, and, people and let's like remember, you know, gold was outlawed by decree or no law, um, but it was um, inlawed. It, it was made legal again through the efforts of one man, and that's Ron Paul. Ron Paul was the guy who got it when he was first in Congress, who got it uh, legalized again. And I have a feeling that the American public is no longer the trusting little waifs we were in 1933. Wait, and Ed, 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 I, let me interrupt you, because as Aaron had mentioned, the last two years proved we are the worst of the waifs. So how do you <laughs> argue with that? We, we accepted everything. Yep. I, yeah, obviously that's, uh, you know, that's a counterexample. Do you guys um, know what's going on with masks? I know we're talking about crypto. Apparently San Francisco's clamping down. If you don't wear masks, you go to jail. New York, the head of the police department, NYPD, is saying, please do not wear a mask and you have to ban masks in all stores. So no, that's not, that's not what it's like. In San Francisco, you have to wear a mask in a healthcare environment or you're guilty of a mis misdemeanor because the state mandate for masks in a healthcare environment is expiring in on April 3rd. So San Francisco is keeping it. In New York, the mayor, who is an idiot, says that he wants it so that whenever you enter a business, you take your mask off so the cameras can see you. But then when you go about the store, you can put it back on for your own safety. In other words, it's completely ridiculous. It's right. science, but, but, but science, other than man. the criminals, people will comply. That's what we see. I, Our youngest I, again, contributor there. I, I, they're going to need a new crisis because every time there's a crisis, uh, the people comply because they're scared. And like nobody's scared of COVID anymore. So they're going to need something different. It's going to be a banking crisis. It's going to be a war. It's going to be, I think it's going to be either a war or it's going to be an attack on the electrical grid that will allow yep. a cyber Patriot Act type of deal that will be used for both censorship and to usher in CBDC and control banking. They need to I control speech and they need to control money next because, and by the way, they did a great job controlling speech. For the mm -hmm. last couple of years, like I was cut off all social media. Oh. Uh, I spent at least 150 days, you know, in jail on Facebook. I, I, I can't, my, my reach has gone down 95%. The shadow banning has been unbelievable. But yet now, at least with Twitter, the truth is getting out. But they're going to need to clamp down on that even further next time as well. Yeah. So they're going to go after money and, and censorship as much as they can with the next crisis. An attack, an attack on the electrical grid sounds a little counterintuitive though, right? <laughs> it's that, that's one thing that would prevent you from having access to your, your money. Right. Well, but if they control, if they controlled it properly, they could make it. I actually saw there was a CBS story on this where it was really interesting. They, they were claiming they called them uh, domestic violent extremists, DVEs in North Carolina, 
apparently were shooting guns at a power substation in North Carolina. And there was a blackout. And immediately they had somebody from the CIA and the FBI on CBS being interviewed talking about how, well, there are only 20 substations in the United States. And if you attack them all at once, it would take out the whole grid. So to me, when I see that, I see them trying to prepare people for the fact that that's what they're actually going to do. Oh, that was an Aaron, two of us are from North Carolina, so just what it's called foreshadowing. Yes, foreshadowing. (laughs) No, it's invitation. They're telling people what they want. They're telling crazy people what they want them to do. No one would go on the uh, television and say that without understanding. Yeah, and then it'll be uh, an invitation. Yep. And then it'll be, and then I'll use it as an opportunity to go after guns. They'll use it as an opportunity to secure the grid. They'll use it as an opportunity for cyber Patriot Act legislation. And then this is, this is how this goes. And, and, you know, even if people are wisening up to what happened with COVID and they are, people aren't getting the boosters. There is, there is some light at the end of the tunnel with this. People are not complying nearly as much as they used to. So they'll try a different kind of fear. So this time, well, They'll try to blame. Well, they'll say, well, it was just Fauci last time or it was just a couple of bad actors. And then they'll create a different fear scenario. And because there are different people involved, we should trust authority well, in that particular instance. And then they'll use it to take away more of our rights. I mean, to play devil's advocate, I mean, people are not taking the vax, you know, because they see it. They see it's not working. I mean, they're, they're sober enough to realize that it, it doesn't work. It's still spreading around and we're just going to have to live with it. And I think little by uh, little. In the UK, I think we've got an example of, of what Aaron's talking about there uh, in terms of um, finding a scapegoat, blaming them, and then the rest of the system carries on doing what it did uh, and does it in relation to a different crisis. Yeah. But... Because, um, you know, in the UK, we've had the, the health secretary at the start of the lockdowns here, uh, Matt Hancock, um, a whole load of his private um whatsapp messages have been released um i don't know if any of you have followed this story Um, oh yeah yeah but the the release of all those messages um uh actually feeds into something that that allows them to continue doing the stuff that that matt hancock did that was wrong because um the way it's being sort of carefully nurtured as a story is that well this is our elected representative he got it wrong uh it's only this guy ignore the fact that all these other people were involved and doing exactly the same thing and that the entire government and the entire opposition party were on board with this um make it this particular solitary scapegoat uh pile it all onto him make him a hate figure um which he deserves to be but then they all deserve to be and the way it's being framed um, almost kind of excuses saying, well, actually, we need we don't need politicians managing this. We need technocrats managing this. You know, we, we need to transfer the, the authority over this to the World Health Organization, who were key to the problem, uh, key to the corruption, key to the, the false advice. But they will be uh, brought in as the saviors. Um, you know, if your elected politicians can't cope with this and get it wrong, well, go to this transnational body and they'll get it right. Uh, and that's a danger similar to, to the kind of dangers that are brought in by uh, a central bank digital currency, because 
those transnational bodies are not accountable to the people in any way whatsoever. Aaron, I'm going to ask you another question. Um, from the pundits, you know, the Mark Levins, the Tuckers, the more famous pundits, and even another level or two below them, are and is anyone talking about this? I, I mean, I, I, you know, I certainly hear Alex Jones talking about this. Right, I mean, he's you know, crazy, he's, right? I mean, well, he's not entirely crazy. He's crazy on some things. He's not crazy on others, and he has a pretty big audience. Um, so there are people talking about this. Um, uh, Brian Rose, you you hear talking about this. I don't know if you you saw any of the like the Rose I I interviews that he did with with David Ike. He has an interesting platform, um, and and get built a pretty big audience. He's based out of uh, out of London. Um, people like Stu Peters. So there are some alternate media, but the mainstream media is not going to pick this up because the mainstream media is funded by banks and big pharma. So th they're going to block a real healthy conversation about this. You're not going to hear a debate about this um, in any real way in the mainstream media. But of course, the mainstream Even media has almost no reach now anyway. I mean, if, if you actually look at this, there's more going on on Twitter than there is on mainstream media or, or, or Fox News. I've been in some Twitter spaces that will rival, you know, what, what you're going to get through the mainstream media at this point. Um, but I don't have any hope that we're going to be getting this message out anytime soon on on mainstream media and it, it, it's and it's funny even when you deal with ai i played around with chat gpt i actually got into an argument with chat gpt about you know the history of the federal reserve and 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 you know it has its own bias um i was having a conversation with it about you know the creature from jekyll island and it clearly has some biases about you shouldn't destabilize the monetary system you know the fiat system is 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 stable and it's sound and it's credible and it was it's just like you're listening to alan greenspan or some economist come out and give you propaganda so there's there's a a lock a coordinated lock on don't threaten the dollar and and don't threaten public health experts on mainstream media Stephen, just, just answer your question, Stephen. Uh, that, that story I gave you earlier about the South Dakota legislation, which, Aaron, for your information, is House Bill 1193. And if you look at the first section, it's uh, B24 uh, in the first section, redefines money. But anyway, I got that from Glenn Beck and Daniel Horowitz. So uh, Glenn Beck is pretty mainstream. I mean, he's not Tucker, but uh, he has you know, Glenn, 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 Glenn Beck is good on this. I, I, I wouldn't consider him mainstream, but he's, I, I, but he's, he's good on this issue as well. So the only hope you're saying is to convince enough people that it's happening and that they should care and they should actually get off their duff and, and yell. And well, no, not yell, do something. I, I, I'm not. What should they I, do? Other than so, script, crypto. Well, so with everything that I'm doing uh, with these websites that I'm rolling out, there's going to be a part where it's kind of we expose the truth and then we give them alternatives. So with crypto, it's here's how this works. This is why it's bad. Here are tools for you to be to be able to go out and get self custody crypto now that and I'm going to include gold and silver in that as well. So we're going to provide tools to help people do that. The same with public health. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about building a section on this where people can report vaccine injuries and things that have been censored from all of the big tech platforms and then provide them with alternative health information as well. Um, and, and the same, and I'd actually done this in 2020 when COVID first started, I actually started doing a bunch of videos about alternative technologies that were censorship resistant. So I went through and I said, hey, use ProtonMail. 
instead of Gmail. Use Signal for your calls instead of using your phone because it's encrypted. Use Library instead of YouTube. Uh, use something called Twitch instead of Twitter. It's basically a version of Twitter, but it's on the blockchain and it's censorship resistant. So I went through in a whole variety of areas and provided tools that people could use that were censorship resistant. So I'm going to provide that as well. So every aspect of my campaign is going to be about empowering people to educating them and then empowering them to do something about it, as opposed to waiting and hoping for a politician to say, no politician is going to solve anybody's problem. Congress isn't going to solve anybody's problem. You know, like this Q phenomenon, people are waiting for some military tribunal to come in. Like none of that is going to happen. If people aren't willing to stand up for themselves, then we're doomed. But I do want to provide tools to help them stand up for themselves instead of just getting them angry about something and then not having them have the ability to do anything about it. We know the ruling class wants to deploy central bank digital currency worldwide all at once. And we also know that that's not going to happen. So where do you think it's going to start? Do you think that it's going to start in the EU? Do you think the, the, you know, the, the Euro world is going to start with the CBDC? Um, I, 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 I'm not really sure how far it's gone in China. They have a kind of separate social credit system that's independent of the one. But what, what is your thought there? Where is it going to start? Well, it has started to a limited degree in China. It's not completely in China, but but it is in a, on a limited basis in China. I believe bah- the Bahamas has passed something already. Last time I checked, there are seven countries that are imp- have implemented uh, CBDC. They're usually small island countries that, that have done this. And I think there are a, hu- a hundred pilots going on. I don't know who's going to implement it. Well, there are seven that have already implemented it. So it's ongoing. The implementation is ongoing. They may try to roll it out all at once. If we get, again, like some sort of World War III, some whatever the next thing is after COVID, they may try to roll it out all at once. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't entirely rule that out. They've been working on this and testing this technology for a long time. It's not like they just came up with this idea and they're now trying to figure out how to do it. It's, it's been tested um, and they're viewing each of these smaller rollouts as a case study and a way to collect new data so that they can roll it out on a bigger scale in the um, futures. Aaron, excuse me a second. I don't think you're using they in the LGBTQ LMNOP sense. Who are they? Well, I'm looking at the people that are kind of pushing this globalist agenda. So you look at the people from the WEF, you look at what's going on at, at the UN, that that the group of people that are involved in that, the group of people that go to Davos um, are, are kind of the people that are, that are, that are spearheading this. Aaron, let me ask you a question. The way that this is going to be sold to people and is already being sold is digital currency is going to be more convenient. Hey, you're already using consumer, you're already using electronic payments for all your debit cards and credit cards and internet payments. Um, it's going to reduce transactional costs. It's going to, I know you disagree with this part, but it's going to cut out the banks. It's going to cut out the call. The, the lending costs that the banks charge, it's going to benefit you. How are you going to, how are people going to be, how can we convince people not to go for it? And well, it'll help crack down on criminals and money laundering. It'll help keep us on That safe. too, right? Yeah, yeah, Everybody yeah, yeah, will pay their fair share. Yeah, yeah, no, they'll say that. And, and of course, the banks have paid more in fines for money laundering since 2000 than the total market cap of all cryptocurrencies currently. But that's neither here nor there. 
this is the challenge. What you mentioned is the big challenge because it's going to be rolled out and sold as something that's convenient. This is why we have to show what's going on in China with the social credit score. We have to show what the end game is for this. We have to show what's going on in because Canada's next with social credit. I don't know where Canada is with respect to CBDC, but they're looking like they're on the horizon for implementing a social credit score. And we saw what they did with the truckers. So we need to explain to people what it means for there to be completely censorable money. And of course, banks already censor people now. We saw this with Kanye West, with, with his bank account. We've seen it with religious groups and gun groups. So the challenge that we have is we have the banks and everybody else that are going to be putting forward this propaganda message. And we have to show people what is actually what it's actually going to be used for. And that's the battle that we have is to educate people because otherwise they'll default out of laziness into something that will be more convenient. And I think the Fed chair just said today that if the Fed rolled out CBDC, it would destroy crypto. At least I saw that on Twitter. I don't know if that quote was from today. I saw it in my feed today. So um, the challenge is, and this is a an unfortunate thing that's happened within the crypto community is the crypto community has not done a good job of making crypto easy to use and easy to onboard. So they will make CBDC easier to use than crypto currently is. And that's a that's a problem that we need as a crypto community to fix very you quickly. You think the government website, like Obamacare site, will be easier to use than crypto? Not the, it, it's not going to be rolled out in that way. It's going to be rolled out through banks. I mean, banks have made money somewhat easy. I mean, you know, people are used to using debit cards. People are used to using Venmo. So this is going to be rolled out through banks. The trial that's going on right now through the New York Fed is being piloted in conjunction with banks through the New York Fed. So it's going to be rolled out through banks. So my guess is they'll figure out a way to roll this out in a way that from the consumer, you're going to just have your Bank of America an account. You're just going to be using CBDC and you may not even know the difference. They're just going to change the back end. The front end is going to appear the same, except that you're not going to have physical cash anymore, which Europe has been kind of, you know, cutting down on, on the actual usage of, of, of cash for quite some time. In fact, they've been doing that in the, in the U S as well. People are using actual cash much much less often. Most yeah, Aaron, I would I would cars. remind people who don't follow Israel, it's a small country, but a decent amount of money. They have cracked down heavily on cash transactions. I think it's down to like 600 bucks or something. Ed Maslish, I believe it was you who said, and I'm sorry for stealing your words or borrowing your words, that all they have to do is offer you a dollar for every 90 cents. And right. everybody's going to run for it. Isn't Am I correct in quoting you that way? My words are your words, Steve. Okay. And and that seems not going to go me that a, a good way for them to do it, and and something that they're contemplating as well, is that they you know they will link it to a reward system, a carrot as well. So you know that it will be linked to to welfare or to debt forgiveness. Yep. Exactly. UBI. It'll be linked to UBI. Listen, I'm not saying this is a this is easy. This is a this is an uphill battle. This is the uphill battle. And they will market it as the best thing since sliced bread, or they'll do it during an emergency and it'll be the best thing since sliced bread and your only alternative because of whatever manufactured crisis we're in. And so, yeah, the default is people will accept it. I I mean, I I think the default situation that we're going to have is people are going to accept this. And then three years, four years down the line after it's implemented, we're going to realize that we're living in a complete surveillance state and we've pretty much lost free will. 
that's, that's what's going to happen down the line. How do you convince people that that's what's going to happen three to four years from now when they don't even know CBDC is on the horizon? That's the challenge. That's what, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to do. And that's what I'm using this campaign in part. Well, to try to as a political candidate, even if you convince people, even if you convince people, <clears throat> what if we took a vote? In the U.S. today, and 100% of the people said, yes, I understand what this is. It is going to uh, completely upend my life. Um, I am 100% against it. I do not want it. And there will still be no way to prevent them from doing it. Brexit. Yeah, we, we, uh, we at that point, in, in my analysis, is we break up the country. Because physically. And in a in a very um, non pacifist way, because they don't care. I mean, if if COVID showed us anything, it is that the elites of the world do not care. They don't care. So you don't like it? Big deal. So you, we knew this back when they first passed the Patriot Act, and put the TSA in place and we knew they were diddling our children and nobody did anything. Not a single thing. You know, oh, it's yeah, funny, okay. Jeff. Yeah, we found a couple of people that were a little inappropriate, but you know, was, other than that. I was going to say uh, we, we can count on the backing of all those who refuse to take off their belt shoes and put their laptop on it. All those, all those gutsy people. Folks, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap up. Um, anybody want to say anything very quick, final, any questions for Aaron? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, listen, I agree that this is an uphill battle. Um, you know, I've been involved in a campaign recently here in New Jersey, and this has actually become an issue uh, because there's a candidate out there um, who was basically advocating for ESG. Uh, <laughs> So believe it or not, on the, a, a Republican who yeah. um, in his in his business was actually working to help people with the, with the ESG issues. Um, so I think there are a lot of people on the right, conservatives, Republicans who are aware of this is, issue. I think DeSantis has made an issue out of it. I've seen Trump make, starting to make an issue out of it. I think it's starting to bubble up. And again, it's not to say that this is going to be an easy battle. But I think as more and more people become aware, just as they became aware of CRT in the schools and things like that, people, you know, to sound a hopeful note, will rise up against this. Well, that's my hope. And then by putting these tools together, it, you know, people may hear me now and say, hey, this guy's nuts, you know, tinfoil hat, all that other stuff. Six months from now, it won't look ridiculous. And the site will be there. The tools will be there. And there will be some momentum with the early adopters. So hopefully we can build something that will sustain because if we don't have something ready right now, crypto usage is declining. And so, you know, I, I, we're, we're seeing a little bit of a drop-off in terms of crypto being used as currency. Um, we need to start building up a base again and at least have the tools ready for when people are forced to make a decision. Um, and that's, that, that that's, that's what I want to build and at least have that, have that there, but yeah, it's an uphill battle. I, I, I can tell you it, being on this campaign so far, most people have no idea what I'm talking about when I, when I bring this up to begin with. So. Okay. Uh, it's going to be folks, a lot of work. God bless I, you. What's that? I got to wrap up. I, I would love to continue this conversation because I'm learning a lot and maybe in the next few weeks can help put out this 
issue slightly more, like I say, but meanwhile, I want to thank everybody for being here. Please come back and join us again. We will be back next Wednesday at the regular time, and I wish everyone a good evening.